This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. We're in the minority of districts in the state who have new money because of that enrollment growth. It also has a lot of positive impact on our district that we see the growth. Schools need funding, sometimes coming from the state and sometimes from district voters directly. As education evolves, you know, your facilities need to evolve as well, and that's what we're looking for in our bond vote. But the concept of educating the next generation requires investment. It's incredibly rewarding to know that schools have the resources they need to make a difference in students. The financial demands on Iowa school districts and those who support them. Our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Much attention has appropriately been given of late to the cost of college education. The student debt load is a topic we've explored on this program in the past and will again. But often overlooked is the amount of debt taken on by Iowa's K-12 school districts, often for very different reasons. Iowa Watch reporter Lauren Wade has our report. The Clear Creek Amana School District covers a wide stretch of rural eastern Iowa covering parts of two counties and including the Amana colonies, Oxford and Tiffin, plus parts of North Liberty and Coralville. In 2016, the district owed more than $35,000 per student to cover debt it accrued constructing school buildings to house those students. That was the highest debt per capita in the state that year. The most recent analyzed using data from the Hedginger Report, a nonprofit national news organization that focuses on education reporting. Yet, school district officials aren't overly concerned about being in debt. Tim Keel, superintendent of the Clear Creek Amana School District, said the district's growing population has made the debt necessary to accommodate the school's growth and enrollment. We're always kind of against that debt ceiling with our with our GO bonds. Um, on the general fund side, um, you know, we've been one of the we're in the minority of districts in the state who have you know quote unquote new money each year because of that enrollment growth. So I think it certainly brings challenges, but it. It also has a lot of positive impact on our district that we that we see the growth. Clear Creek Amana School District's current enrollment is a little more than 2,500 students, double what the enrollment was 17 years ago. I mean, the debt, it, it really is just a, it's a straight result of the enrollment growth. Iowa Watch talked with officials at several Iowa school districts about debt they've taken on for new facilities. The districts Iowa Watch talked to attributed their high debt levels to growing enrollment aging buildings, and the need to update facilities to accommodate changing teaching methods. For many of these schools, the majority of their debt comes from the sale of bonds, which provide money that goes directly to construction and maintenance-related expenses. And while a data analysis showed large districts responding to growing areas, it also showed rural areas where enrollment isn't growing but where aging facilities need updates. Behind Clear Creek Amana, at second and third in the state when it comes to debt per student in 2016, were the Panorama and Riverside Community Districts. Neither is growing in enrollment. A short drive to the east from the Clear Creek Amana School District is West Branch Community School District, which has a little more than 700 students. West Branch schools are not experiencing enrollment growth either, but Marty Jimerson, the superintendent for the district, said the school and students enrolled there would benefit from updated facilities, whether that be new buildings or renovations on the district's existing building. District voters there have failed to pass two bond votes in the last two years. You know, as education evolves, you know, your facilities need to evolve as well, and that's what we're looking for in our bond vote is, um, 
collaborative uh, learning spaces that really lend itself to more of the blended and personalized learning opportunities. Uh, we're doing those. Those are big initiatives that we have in the district, but it just it makes it tougher when, when you have more of the traditional classrooms. The district's buildings have other issues that school officials had hoped to fix with the bond money as well. We definitely need to address the need of our HVAC issues um, at the high school, and then we have roofs uh, that both the elementary and the high school that need to be uh, replaced, along with secure entrances. Uh, so those are some of the priorities. The district has surveyed voters and found them to be hesitant about the increase in property tax that would pay back the debt from the general obligation bond. Still, the district is planning a third bond vote in August. We have a facilities advisory committee that's been a great um, group to work with, really giving us good input, being you know that that voice uh, for our community. Some of the things that you know we heard in the past, uh, the price tag, any impact that had on property taxes was something that we heard, so we're being very cognizant of that. The middle school in general, you know, in previous plans, the plans were to tear down. We're going to try to find a way to repurpose it, but we want to make sure that we are making the most of, of taxpayer dollars. When it comes to total spending, districts with the highest dollar amount of debt are metro districts, where enrollment has been growing in recent years and more financial resources exist. These districts are in the Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, Sioux City, Waterloo, Council Bluffs, and Dubuque areas. The Ankeny Community School District outside of Des Moines is one of those districts, with $192.5 million in debt in 2016. District officials say they anticipate to continue growing around 400 students a year, Jackie Black, the district's chief financial officer, said. You know, if you're growing 400 students a year, you're serving those students you know, before the general education, which is the general fund, not debt service, there are needs for all kinds of things, you know, mm -hmm. curriculum supplies, furniture, all those types of things. We, our long-range plan, uh, we look at the funding sources for the needs going out those 10 12 years, um, and we plan those according to the allowed funds that can be used for, uh, available for funding sources to maintain our facilities, as well as to build if that's necessary. And back in eastern Iowa, the larger concern districts like Clear Creek Amana face isn't how do you pay this debt off, it's how they would have managed if they hadn't passed the bonds in 2014 and 2017. Probably the only real option would be having a bunch of portable buildings for kids mm -hmm. at different sites. Um, seeing more and more kids in classrooms, you know, we'd have to look at class sizes in the 30s, which right now we are in the low to mid 20s typically mm -hmm. um, at the elementary level. Um, and so that would have to change and we'd have to find some space option that we could afford to pay for out of our PEPL and um, save funds, which would then probably negatively impact things like technology purchases, um, transportation purchases, and, and those other areas. People continue to move into the Clear Creek Amana School District, which means more school buildings are being planned to handle their children. Even though the district has passed two bond issues in the last six years, its leaders already are planning to ask voters to pass a third one in the next few years. It's the development within our district, um, with Tiffin you know, being the fastest growing city in the state, and then the constant development in North Liberty, mm -hmm. and we're going to 
seeing and going to continue to see more um, in the part of Coralville that's in our district that driving that enrollment. Um, our latest projections lead us to believe we'll continue to see over 200 students a year for at least the next five years and likely well beyond that. And Iowa Watch reporter Lauren Wade discussed her reporting on this topic with Iowa Watch executive director and editor Lyle Muller. Lauren, to begin with, Walk us through the work you did to try to crunch the numbers and look at this data so that you could find out how much debt was going on in some of these school districts. Well, we obtained the data through the Hedginger report. They had compiled a little tool that showed us, you know, the amount of debt that was in each district in 2016. That was the last year that they had collected their data. And I was able to get a spreadsheet from them just with the whole, all of it, and it included their revenue their total debt numbers, their enrollment numbers, all the way back to 2002. So I really sat and I looked at that for a while and found some trends where different areas of the state that were seemed to be growing, other areas that the enrollment wasn't growing as much, but the debt was increasing. There's just a lot of nuances to it. It's not easy to go through that. It's You're sitting down and it's a lot of tedious work, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I find it enjoyable, especially because it's enlightening. You find, and I found through them, different uh, school districts in the state to talk to than I had questions to go to them with. And of course, that's the human part of it, and that's the real purpose of this story. Did you have difficulty talking with school districts about debt that they were taking on? No, not at all. They were um, very willing to talk to me. I mean, their funding is either through state funding which is our tax dollars, or their local communities, and their communities were the ones voting on these bonds, so it's all public information. You talked with the Clear Creek Amana School District, a large school district geographically, and also one that's growing like crazy, it seems, right now. Well, they're located in an area of the state that is very rapidly growing, and they have a lot of young families and demographics coming in. So they um, have growing schools. They have a lot of kids they need to um, find places for, and their only kind of answer to that is building new buildings and taking on that amount of debt. You grew up in a small school district. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Were you in a district where they were continually building buildings, or did any of this relate to what you were dealing with uh, as a reporter when you looked back on your uh, school experience in Iowa? I have a little bit of an interesting history because I actually went to a smaller school district and then I open rolled into a larger one, so I saw it a little differently. They and, did. And that school district that you were in and then open enrolled in were what? What were those two? Uh, Central City was my hometown, and then I open enrolled in Marion. Um, they did uh, before, right before I went to high school. They built a new school, high school, and a new gymnasium in Central City. And it's like we were, we it was exciting. There were new facilities and everything, but definitely moving into that big school, you did there was a huge shift in just the classes that were offered offered and some of the opportunities that were offered to students. Did you end up at Marion though, mm -hmm. instead of Central City? Yeah. Did you ever wish you could have gone into those new facilities at Central City? It wasn't as most of my friends were in the Marion area, so that was more of the big pull. And open enrollment played a role in some of the reporting that you had as well, in that school districts trying to grow are losing students, and then that money goes to the school district where open enrollment is happening. Is that not right? It is, yeah. And that was an interesting interview with Council Bluffs where they talked about uh, parents making the decision that they felt their children would thrive better in different communities other than the ones that they were living in, but that takes away money from the school, their local school district. 
you have these large metropolitan areas where there is growth, so they're able to handle the debt. But were there not also school districts that were not growing that still are taking on debt? Definitely. In rural communities, we saw a lot of that. There were um, school districts that were having to, um, you know, rebuild old school buildings, uh, new facilities to kind of hand be able to offer their kids um, the same things that were being offered in larger areas as well. What were the big takeaways that you got as you were going through the data and putting this report together? Well, there was a lot going into it that I didn't understand about school funding, and a couple of the districts expressed that to me too, that they felt a lot of other people didn't understand how the fun- different funding sources worked, which was interesting to me because uh, these dis- it's in the school's best interest for people to understand that since they're the ones voting on these um, bond issues. Iowa Watch reporter Lauren Wade speaking with Lyle Muller, the executive director and editor of Iowa Watch. When we come back, a conversation with one of those who help school districts with their funding issues in a variety of ways. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double-check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. School funding comes to districts through state appropriations as well as directly from citizens through bonding. Helping those districts navigate those very different waters is Margaret Buckton, who serves school district needs in a variety of ways. I am a partner at Iowa School Finance Information Services. We're known as ISFIS, and we do financial consulting to help schools understand tax policy investments, public policy at the state house, that kind of stuff. Then I'm also a lobbyist for the Urban Education Network, which is 17 of the largest school districts in the state. And then I'm also a professional advocate for the rural school advocates of Iowa, and RSAI now has 102 of the smaller districts in the state. When I'm at the Capitol, I'm representing big schools and little schools, but they all need flexibility and resources. In your work, you deal on a regular basis with the largest districts in the state right down to some of the smallest. Do they have divergent needs that at times are in conflict with one another, or are they just unique because of size and number of students but still have some of these same needs and goals? Well, it's really interesting, Jeff. There is no one descriptor that says uh, school size means you're financially sound or you're growing in enrollment or you're not. We have 
both large and small school districts in Iowa facing growing enrollment. So they're building because they have to create more classrooms. And we have large and small districts in the state of Iowa. They're facing declining enrollment, and they really have to right-size their facilities for the classrooms that they have today, as well as keep up on maintenance and those kinds of things. It is almost a tale of two states. We have talked about that on this program in a variety of contexts, especially with regard to rural development. The smaller areas have to fight even harder to maintain viability, while some of the larger areas just keep expanding and growing. Is that the same thing with regard to schools? I mean, in other words, are these really hand-in-glove? The things that we tend to talk about with regard to the vitality of communities and cities, that's mirrored in the local school system, correct? Um, Yes, it really is, although there is a sense of both community capacity, um, enthusiasm for supporting the school, and then tax capacity, having the wealth to support the school. And when we're talking about school facilities, there really is um, more of that uh, tax ability in some districts to, uh, to invest in their school facilities than in others. And so there, there are really two different variables there. There's, um, do you have the political support, the community support uh, to move forward, but also do you have the tax capacity to actually do it? And that gets us to the differing reasons why districts may go to voters, go to patrons in the school district, and ask for a bond issue Obviously, those where the enrollment is growing, they need additional facilities, bright, shiny new facilities. This is what's expected. Do you find, based on experience, that those larger areas have an easier time of it when they go to voters and say, we need a new facility, you can see all the growth in terms of new housing, etc., as opposed to smaller areas where they may be saying, we need a bond issue for a new gymnasium so our kids can be on an equal playing field with some of the other larger areas. Is there a, a, a split between rural and urban in terms of the ask, I guess, is what I'm, I'm inquiring about? Sure, and, and it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I would say that it's more likely to have a, a successful bond issue in suburban areas, and the word urban Sometimes people that misunderstand that to mean like areas of growing population, but we have large urban centers that could really struggle mm. to get a bond issue passed and haven't mm-hmm. tried for years. Mm-hmm. And that would be like Des Moines and Cedar Rapids and places like that, where the suburbs around them, you think about Ankeny, you know, in the Polk County area or um, College Community School District outside of Cedar Rapids, those kinds of places. But, but even Linmar had to try a couple of times to get a bond issue passed with growing enrollment and up against their uh, their classroom size, where they just simply couldn't get more kids in the school. If you have what I'm going to call a rural district, a consolidated district, they may have at least as much pride in maintaining that way of life than someone in a suburban area where they've got all of this growth going on. I mean, it really has to mm-hmm. do with the motivation of the individuals who are voting and raising children. Absolutely. And we've seen, you know, examples in rural districts of uh, benefactors leaving an estate to a school to completely fund, uh, you know, a new fine arts wing or something like that. I mean, there's, there is a lot of pride in rural schools. And um, that doesn't mean that the agricultural community is willing to be taxed to pay for it, but they do come together to support their districts um, in a lot of different ways. Talk about what Iowa School Finance Information Services does. When they contact you, what can you offer them? Sure. Well, it, it's 
sometimes surprising to people, but our school leaders are educational leaders, and that doesn't mean that they understand things like tax policy or took a lot of courses in financing bonds when they went and got their uh, graduate degrees in school leadership, for example. So a lot of what we do is connect them to financial experts, but also help them with communicating to their public so they can analyze um, their tax rates, uh, their tax capacity, and um, see what's possible in other areas like them, um, and then help them Uh, put together the information to communicate about the needs of um, improving instruction or safety and security. Or Another big one today is energy efficiency. Mm. And Iowa, unlike many other states, we have this very bright line between expenditures for facilities and expenditures for instruction or education. And so if you're if, you're, if you have a bond issue, you never have the instructional costs at risk. That money is never used to pay the bond issue. It's always on the property taxpayer or the state penny for school infrastructure, for example. But if you can make energy efficiency improvements with those dollars, you can actually better use your educational dollars to hire more teachers or have more programs for students. So we help them think about where their investments can make the biggest difference you know, to elevate their educational program. Let me ask you finally, it's a two-part question, what's the greatest challenge in the work that you do? And secondly, what's the greatest satisfaction that you get from it? Um, I think the, the greatest challenge is in helping people get the attention of their public um, at the time when they need it. Um, getting that story told at the state legislature from people who support schools, because there is a lot of anti-tax um, uh, messaging that gets done up there. And so getting things down to a level where people can understand it and motivating people to engage in that is really challenging. And of course, the greatest satisfaction is when you see uh, hundreds of phone calls and they make a difference in a policy and they get something done. Um, it's incredibly rewarding to know that schools have the resources they need to make a difference in students. Margaret Buckton is a partner at Iowa School Finance Information Services. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.